Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. From the blackest corners of your mind, they call, pulling you deep into shadow, twisting your senses, keeping you from sleep. It's time to face your darkest fears. This is Tales to Terrify. Good evening, children of the night, and welcome. We're just over a week away from that most horrible of holidays, All Hallows' Eve, and I can feel it. The bite on the breeze is sharper, the shadows are longer, and that familiar feeling of supernatural mischief lingers in the air. I don't want to jinx it, but it's actually looking like my northern neck of the woods might make it through the holiday this year without any snow on the ground. Keep your fingers crossed for me, would you? Whatever your plans are for this Halloween, there's a good chance it includes filtering some horror fiction into your ears. We've got a special bonus tale we're cooking up over on Patreon, so make sure to take a wander over there to check it out. Also, our friend, Jimmy Horrors of the Night's End podcast, has got his own mysterious brew bubbling away to celebrate the season. One which might include a guest appearance by yours truly. Check it out over at nightsendpodcast.com next week, 
or find it on any of your favorite podcatchers. Speaking of Patreon, though, as I mentioned last week, our latest updates are posted and the perks are starting to roll out now. If you're a supporter, make sure you check your messages to see what new perks you've got access to and to update your mailing address for those of you who now have access to physical rewards. I might be biased, I think there's some pretty cool ones. The first of our latest bonus episodes, part one of William Hope Hodgson's The Boats of the Glen Carrig, is now live, with part two arriving this Sunday. And we'll also be sharing our first piece of behind-the-scenes content, an interview with the incredibly talented Haley Piper, just in time for Halloween. Check out those and all of the other new perks at patreon.com slash tales to terrify. One last piece of Patreon news before we get into our fiction this week, and it's a big one. I am beyond excited to announce that we've crossed the line into brave new territory. Thanks to your incredible generosity and support, starting in November, we'll finally be able to pay our narrators for their contributions. You've heard me talk about it lots before, so I'll try to contain my excitement, but this is something we've strived for since taking over the show around two and a half years ago. And for it to finally become a reality? I don't even have words to thank you all enough. Our narrators are the backbone of our show, bringing the stories to life each and every week. And until now, they've always done it simply out of the darkness of their hearts. So it makes me so happy to finally be able to give them some compensation for all of their incredible work. It's nowhere near what they deserve, but it's a start. And I hope you'll help us keep the momentum going. We've just crossed the 90 patron mark, and the more support we have, the more we can give back to those who make this show possible, the bigger and better stories we can accept, and the more incredible voice talent we'll hear from. Your support really does feed this show. The generous support of deeply disturbed and kind individuals like Travis Osterhaus, Stephen Gagan, and Adam Nemitoff. Your living proof, or reanimated proof, we don't judge here, of how a little kindness can go a long way toward fueling all kinds of horrible things. Thanks so much for making this possible. The last, but absolutely not least, piece of news I'd like to share with you this week is to give a hellishly warm welcome to Andrew Drew Gibson, who recently joined the staff here at Tales to Terrify. You may recognize Drew from both our Discord and as a narrator who's read for us on a handful of occasions. Drew's agreed to lend his considerable talents and sharp wit to the show. So please join me in welcoming Drew as he steps, or slithers, or whatever he does, behind the curtain with us. Okay, enough yakking. You're here for horror fiction. And horror fiction you shall have. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. We have a longer tale for you this evening, which comes to us from Patrick Barb. Patrick Barb is a freelance writer from the southern United States, currently living, and trying not to freeze to death, in St. Paul, Minnesota. His work appears in Humans Are the Problem, Boneyard Soup Magazine, and Not One of Us, among other publications. He is also an active member of the Horror Writers Association. For more of his work, visit patrickbarb.com or follow him on Twitter at pbarb. Children of the Night, join me for Patrick Barb's The Great Angel Deluge and How It Nearly Ruined My Special Day, a Tales to Terrify original. You know when I should have known that things were going to go wrong? The night before my wedding, when Father Jonas started bleeding from his eyes during rehearsal. That's when. I'd placed the groomsmen and bridesmaids up by the altar in close to perfect diagonal rows on either side of the priest. Watching from the back, I made a mental note that my maid of honor, Denise's left foot, stuck out too far. She'd ruin our pictures if she pulled that shit the next day which was certainly not something I'd put past her. I cleared my throat as I started down the aisle. I kept my eyes locked on Denise and her big foot. I'd hoped she'd get the message. I didn't want to have to say anything. Denise was always such a drama queen. 
The last thing I needed was her at the rehearsal dinner, honking her runny nose and wiping her crying eyes with a pile of napkins. But before Denise had a chance to move her big size ten foot, Father Jonas went and had those crimson tears dribble off his chin. After a few more steps, I looked up and saw his salt and pepper goatee stained a Kool-Aid red. I took it all in stride as everyone started freaking out, shouting about Father Jonas and his bleeding eyeballs. As soon as that happened, any hope I had for our groomsmen and bridesmaids staying in their close-to-perfect lines got tossed away like so much trash. Thomas, my Thomas, took Father Jonas by the crook of his black-robed arm. Easy there, Thomas said. He walked him down the steps, maneuvered him to an empty pew. When I reached the front, I turned and watched Father Jonas collapse against the stiff wooden seat, muttering prayers in Latin, or whatever. I hoped that whatever he had would clear up in twelve hours. I couldn't imagine having to sit through Father Wu, or Wang, or whatever his name was, doing the ceremony and mass. We'd be there until the end times, as he tried to enunciate his way through every passage of scripture in the readings. But I refused to let might-bes and could-bes take up residence in my brain. That was rule number one in Sarah Shaker Kane's Simple Rules for a Simply Successful Wedding. Refuse to let might-bes and the could-bes take up residence in your brain. Have you read it yet? You should. Changed my life. My practice march finished. I headed up to the altar. Dad was supposed to practice walking me up the steps to Thomas, who was supposed to be waiting for me. But Dad had run off to fetch a glass of water or some aspirin or an exorcist or whatever for Father Jonas. I hit our mark, though, paused for hug and kiss, looked back and waved, blew a kiss, and even mimed staring lovingly into Thomas's swimming pool blue eyes. I knew that on the actual day, less than half a day away at this point, I'd toss in a whispered, Hey, sexy, when I got up to Thomas, something to get him laughing and loosened up. When I got down the steps, Denise was on the phone with 911. Apparently, she'd just gotten through to them. Uh-huh, we're at St. Jerome's and... Yes, it is about the priest. How did you... I grabbed her phone. Look, just send someone, okay? I hung up and handed the phone back to Denise. She looked pissed, but I'd just saved her time and helped her avoid hassle. Rule number five and thirteen of Sarah Shaker Kane's Simple Rules for a Simply Successful Wedding. Save time. And avoid hassles. Whatever she was mad at me for, Denise soon seemed to forget it. I caught her staring out the church's signature stained glass window, the one showing a giant portrait of Jesus on the cross. The stained glass Jesus reminded me of those bad paintings Grandnan used to make back when she was still there enough to live on her own and go to art classes at the library. Denise seemed entranced by stained glass Jesus's pink abs and the ruby-red blood droplets under his lime-green crown of thorns. What's happening outside? she asked. The other groomsmen and bridesmaids had already left, to pile on the shuttle bus to the rehearsal dinner, I figured. I expected all my aunts and uncles and second cousins, the ones I knew by height but not by name, 
were already there at the restaurant. I imagined them trying to mingle with Thomas's family. I couldn't imagine what they'd do without me. When I looked away from stained-glass Jesus, I saw Denise hovering in the aisle as Thomas sat in the pew beside Father Jonas. My fiancé held a damp washcloth over the priest's eyes. Denise leaned in with her too-low-cut dress and that lipstick shade I'd specifically asked her not to wear, since it would clash with the restaurant's decor. I walked over to put a stop to whatever the heck Denise's deal was. Right when I got to the pew? Squish. The white toe of my Kate Spade party flats came up off the carpeted floor, red and sticky from a puddle of Father Jonas's bloody tears. God damn it! Priscilla! Thomas gave me a look like I was the bad person somehow. I figured it wasn't worth the fight, so I just took a deep breath and said, Bus is leaving soon. Then I headed for the exit. I got about halfway before deciding to turn around. I'd wanted to get all the way up to the door, for maximum effect, but I couldn't help myself. Once I did look back, I saw Thomas, and Denise, too, still seated with Father Jonas. Come on! I'm not ashamed to say I slapped my palm against one of the pews in the back. That slap echoed down the aisle toward my soon-to-be husband and maid of honor. They looked at me like I'd crapped in their mouths. Whatever! For his part, Father Jonas sounded like he was snoring. And he was definitely shaking. I guessed he wasn't 100% out of the woods. Of course, I had enough problems. The bus was about to leave. I'd gone to the bus rental place and talked to our driver a week in advance. I'd stressed to that woman with her too short haircut and razor-stubbled upper lip, in the simplest words possible, how important it was that we keep things on schedule. Rule number 17 of Sarah Shaker Kane's Simple Rules for a Simply Successful Wedding. Don't stress. Schedule. Knowing Thomas would always respond if I gave a few tears to the cause, I got set to turn on the waterworks. Then, the sky exploded. All at once, thunder and lightning ripped apart clouds like paper dolls. All the stained glass windows burst inward, raining down colored shards. Of course, I screamed. Fast as I could, I yanked the wooden exit door open and hid behind it. As I peeked around the massive door, I saw Denise draping herself over Thomas and the priest. Typical Denise. I also saw a piece of red stained glass maybe a shard of stained-glass Jesus's stained-glass blood, sticking out of Denise's big toe. I groaned at the sight, swallowing to keep the triscuits I'd had for lunch down. The last thing I needed was Denise's giant foot bandage ruining the wedding photos. She was really working hard to remind me why she'd been the third choice for maid of honor. The bus is leaving, I repeated, before shoving the door closed again. I didn't want to think about the cleanup and about how they'd have to put plywood boards in the now-empty frames. And I certainly didn't want to look at the mess. Glass crunched under my soles. When I turned around, I saw Thomas, with Father Jonas on one side, and Denise, leaning hard on Thomas, pressing up as close as she could, 
on the other side. They stood half in and half out. We're coming, we're coming, Thomas said. I activated my high school cheerleader-trained sorority social chair-perfected smile. Rule number 11 from Sarah Shaker Kane's Simple Rules for Simply Successful Wedding. Turn on that smile. Oh, will Father Jonas be joining us for dinner? I asked. I was already doing the math in my head. We only had so many seats in the part of the restaurant Thomas's mother had reserved. I told her when she booked it that it wouldn't be enough, but she wouldn't listen. Really, though, the last thing I wanted was to have some priest with bleeding eyes spoiling the fun at our rehearsal dinner. What I especially didn't want was a bloody-eyed priest with nowhere to sit at said rehearsal dinner. I could picture him slumped over a table, dribbling blood onto the tablecloth. Not exactly a pleasant vision the night before my special day, right? Just as quickly, I figured the photographer we'd hired could eat standing up and give her seat to Father Jonas. It's not like we were paying her to sit there shoveling breadsticks in her mouth. I like to think I solved that potential problem in a fairly impressive, expedient fashion in between the time I asked my question and the time Thomas said, I guess, but shouldn't we get him to a hospital? Yeah, plus my foot hurts bad. Denise looked down at the piece of glass in her big toe. Suddenly, it was all about Denise, which again, was typical Denise. It was the Bolathon fundraiser all over again. But I'd learned my lesson back then, and I chose to be the bigger person. I took out my phone and tapped the keypad before she could finish whatever she was going to say. If you don't want to come to the party, that's fine, Denise. You've got a lot to do tomorrow. Remember, I need you to call Thomas's DJ friend for the reception. Make sure he has our first dance song downloaded. I'll get you and Father Jonas a ride to the hospital. You'll have plenty of time to take care of it on the trip over. I helped Thomas lead the priest and Denise through the busted-out front doors and onto the sidewalk. Once we had them situated on the sidewalk in front of the church, I ran to our bus, designed to hold 56 people typically, but that night reserved for 20 to give people some legroom, in the drop-off loop to make sure it hadn't left without us, and to make sure everyone else was on board. The bus door was closed. I knocked on it with the side of my fist. I should mention that the sky was still a clear blue. Tropical ocean water comes snorkel with the fishes blue. It hadn't started raining, at least not where I stood. After at least five more knocks, I heard a mechanical gasp and sigh inside as the driver finally opened the door. I took the three steps up to her seat quicker than she expected. She flinched like a baby animal in that part of the nature documentary you have to watch from between your fingers. Before I could rightfully read her the riot act, something to the side caught my eye. Or maybe I should say, the absence of some things caught my eye. I looked over and saw rows and rows of cushioned seats reserved for our wedding party, all empty. From the sidewalk, Thomas yelled something, asking about the ride to the hospital. But I had more pressing matters that needed attention. I walked from empty seat to empty seat. I nearly gave up hope of finding anyone else on that not-inexpensive bus. 
aside from our filet of fish fart-smelling driver, when I saw a small boy in a shaggy blonde bowl cut, white polo shirt, and plaid shorts seated near the back. Jackson, where's your mom at? I asked him. Jackson's mom was Valeria, my half-sister from Dad's most recent failed marriage. Jackson, Valeria, yes, the terrible names must run in that family. Valeria was my fourth choice for maid of honor, on deck should things fall through with Denise, which looked more and more likely. At the sound of my voice, Jackson smiled up at me, a natural adherent to Sarah Shaker Kane's simple rules for a simply successful wedding, without having probably read a word of it. Hi, Aunt Prissy, he said. Mom's not here. Did you hear the sky, though? I sure did, I said. I took a knee in the bus aisle, in my party dress, so we'd be face to face. You look like you could use a drink, Aunt Prissy. I laughed. I had to laugh. The kid had a point. Once I got my breath, I said... Jax, you don't know the fucking half of it. That set him off laughing, too. I liked that. I liked being the cool aunt. Jackson was a good kid. I mean, he'd actually listened to me and made it on the bus. I couldn't blame him for his trailer trash name. Plus, I'd already looked into the legal documents necessary for a name change request once he turned 18. Figured that was another cool aunt thing to do. Do you still want to go to the party? I asked. He nodded, his hair flopping across his eyes. He stopped just as suddenly, grabbing onto my wrist as I went to stand up. And Prissy? Yeah, pal? Will there be TVs at the restaurant? I gave him a half shrug in reply. I guess. When I got back to the front, I motioned for the driver to open the door. Figuring crude gestures might be my best option with her. I want to watch what they say about the weather, Jackson called up to me. You got it, I said, thinking how strange kids' viewing habits had gotten. The driver didn't take as long to open the door that time. I bounded down a step or two, leaning forward the rest of the way, half on and half off. I saw Thomas helping Father Jonas and Denise up into the back of an ambulance. I half heard Denise say something or other about her insurance not covering, blah, blah, blah. Then Thomas leaned over and whispered something in her ear. Not great. After which he helped the EMT slam the door shut with Denise on the other side. Much better. It wasn't until the ambulance pulled out of the church parking lot and onto the road that Thomas turned around and I got a good look at my husband-to-be. He looked tired. Of course, he'd barely scratched the surface of everything I'd had to do that day. Come on, I said. Apparently, we're going to go watch the weather. About a mile away from our near-empty charter bus and the church with the busted-out windows, something fell from the sky and hammered the marble fountain at the park, the one where we'd taken our engagement photos, to marble chunks. Later, I heard stories about park rangers picking up dead animals and birds with wet stone and large feathers in their wounds. I'd said the whole watching the weather thing as a joke, picking up on Jackson's odd little turn of phrase and trying to get a rise out of Thomas. 
I wanted him to understand that despite my planning, my insistence on punctuality, and my complete commitment to sticking to the script, I could still have some fun. It wasn't like I'd overlooked the crucial rule number 25 of Sarah Shaker Kane's simple rules for a simply successful wedding. Don't forget to still have fun. So I was a bit shocked when he took me completely seriously. Thomas walked to the back of the bus and slid in right across from Jackson. He started peppering the kid with all kinds of questions. I stayed up front with the bus driver, breathing through my nose and charging my phone in her old cigarette lighter. The night proved more of a bummer than the afternoon. I finally managed to round up all our bridesmaids and groomsmen, some of whom I had to make very specific and very explicit threats to, reminding them all that this was going to be my special day and that I wasn't about to have them ruin it over whatever vague existential dread they might feel, just to get them to show up. It didn't matter, though. Before too long, I found myself sitting alone at the restaurant's bar, pouring myself sloppy shots of Grey Goose, while everyone else, our families, the wedding party, the restaurant staff, and even some scruffy-looking strangers with dopey expressions who'd wandered over from the other side of the restaurant, stood there with their eyes glued to the little TV bolted up under the upper right corner of the bar, just above the clean pint glasses. Nobody ate a damn thing. That was fine. Thomas's mom had picked fondue. So how tacky can you get? But worse, they also didn't drink a drop. No beer, no wine, no liquor, not even a seltzer. Every now and then I'd slam my shot glass down and gaze across the bar at the vintage tin bucket I'd had filled with untouched IPAs and slushy melted ice. I didn't get a single compliment on the chalkboard sign with my calligraphy that I'd spent at least three hours perfecting Advertising Thomas's I Do PAs. That's rule number 35 of Sarah Shaker Kane's Simple Rules for a Simply Successful Wedding in Action. Don't forget to get crafty. Or maybe that's number 45. The point is, no one gave a shit. But up on the TV, that they cared about. News anchors with perfectly pressed power suits and product-heavy hair, they looked lost to me, and certainly drunker than any of our rehearsal dinner guests, up there on that tiny screen, babbled away in the studio as scrolling text below went wild with phrases that made no rational sense. I was drunk. The space between my ears roared with static that sounded like the charter bus plowing full speed ahead through a rainstorm. My eyelids felt heavy. I think the only thing that kept me awake was the fact that I was mad as hell that not a single person had stopped to ask how I was feeling about the pending big day. I heard what they said on the news in bits and pieces, stops and starts. Reports of humanoid creatures, eight feet tall, falling from... Yeah, that's right. I saw it. Hole open up there. Jess open and kablam, got cow guts all over me. Understand a statement from President, from a secure location is forthcome. I couldn't take it. I screamed.
I threw my shot glass across the bar so that it shattered. The bald, pierced, and tatted-up bartender, just as spellbound as the rest, didn't even duck out of the way as a tiny piece of glass nicked his ear. I listened as glass shards fell like thick raindrops onto the rubber mats behind the bar. It did the trick. For a moment, everyone stopped what they were doing and looked right at me. I motioned for Thomas to come and join me. Once he got over to my stool, I slung my arm up onto his shoulder, letting my fingers walk across to his clavicle. Thank you all for coming tonight, for this special night, before our special day. I looked around, trying to connect with faces of friends and family. I saw people crying. But wasted as I was, and I was pretty wasted, I knew they weren't crying about me or about my wedding. That made it hard to follow rule, whatever the hell from Sarah Shaker Kane's simple rules for a simply successful wedding that says something like, let people be emotional. For every person crying, there was another trying to look past me to see more of the shouting people on the TV. They had a red-faced woman in a Pepto-Bismol pink suit yelling about seals being broken and the apocalypse, and she was up against a man in a bow tie and suspenders named Dr. Something or Other, who yelled about parallel dimensions and extinction-level catastrophes. I let them yell in the background as I tried to find the right words to finish my speech. I looked up at Thomas, hoping he'd help me. But he wasn't looking at me. I reached up and yanked on his chin with my free hand. My nails dug into the scar he got from getting hit by a ball in Little League. I brought his face down near mine. I kissed his cheek, pressing my lips against his stubble and smearing a little lipstick when he pulled away. But through all that, he kept his eyes on the TV. I love this man, and I can't wait to marry him and spend the rest of our lives together. No one clapped. No one clinked forks against their pint or wine glasses, encouraging us to kiss again. All the glasses still sat empty anyway. Just then, the door at the front of the restaurant opened with a bang. Dad stood in the open doorway, covered in blood and guts. A thick, muscly shape, like a heart, but bigger than any organ I could imagine fitting inside someone's chest, rested on his shoulder like a gory parrot. I couldn't believe that we'd forgotten him back at the church. Of course, I did tell everyone what time the bus was going to leave. Dad wouldn't come into the restaurant. He stayed there in the doorway, rocking back and forth on the heels of his black dress shoes, the same ones he'd worn to Mom's funeral and to every special function since then. I went to raise my shot glass to him, forgetting I'd smashed it behind the bar moments earlier. Instead, I lifted the whole bottle in salute. It's true. What they say on the news, I saw it. Walking down Front Street. Five of them fell on the road, both sides, the cars. They, tr they tried to swerve, but some couldn't get out of the way. I saw a... There was a woman with a stroller. He stopped right in the middle of his sentence.
and coughed. It was a long, deep cough that sounded like it came from his knees and up out of his lips. It sounded like there was a mucus-thick other inside, trying to claw its way out. The only other time I'd heard him cough like that was when he asked me to listen to him practice Mom's eulogy on the morning of her funeral. I didn't notice when Thomas pulled away and moved toward Dad at the front of the restaurant. What was it? What fell from the sky? Thomas asked. Angels. Dad said, simple, as if he was talking about rain or snow or sleet. The sky opened up like someone stabbed it with a knife and dragged the blade across. Then angels fell out. It was beautiful, but it was terrible. It went quiet in the restaurant. Then someone laughed a sharp, loud, bleeding type of laughter. I looked around, my head swimming with vodka thoughts, trying to find who'd laughed. It was Jackson, seated by himself at one of the tables toward the back. His feet didn't touch the ground. Somehow, he'd gotten his hands on a butcher's knife from the kitchen and had used it to carve something into the tabletop. I don't know why, but no one tried to stop him. I figured maybe I'd just forget about his mom being my replacement maid of honor. And if Denise didn't make it back from the hospital, I'd just forego the whole maid of honor thing in general. Be flexible. I'm 99% sure that's one of Sarah Shaker Kane's simple rules for a simply successful wedding. And if it's not, well, it should be. Jackson, put that knife down. His eyes met mine across the restaurant. At least, I'm pretty sure they did. Things were still pretty swimmy. Yes, Aunt Prissy, he said. I gave him a thumbs up, but changed it midway to finger guns. I figured that was the cooler, cool aunt thing to do. I held on tight to the edge of the bar, trying to keep my balance and stop the room from spinning. Just when I felt the puke ready to shove its way up from my esophagus, the angel crashed through the restaurant's skylight. I'll say this. It was just as big as Dad had described. Massive, naked limbs outstretched. Muscular, but not in a bodybuilder sort of way. It looked... I can't think of a better word, but... Perfect. Every piece in its right place. Even the wings grew from its back perfectly, flat and white, highlighting the golden tan of its nude body. Seeing it made me think of the last most beautiful thing I'd seen. Mom and me in a department store dressing room. There's me peeking out from under a pile of skirts on the carpeted floor, looking up at her as she shimmies a sweater over her head. She sees me peeking once she's got her head through the neck. She sticks out her tongue. Then, just like that, 
the angel slammed through a table and exploded like an overripe watermelon, drenching anyone standing nearby in blood and liquefied angel guts. Everybody screamed. Or at least it sounded like they did. Imagine a shrill, ear-piercing shriek amplified times fifty or a hundred or however many people we had squeezed into that shitty fondue restaurant. Somewhere in the midst of all that screaming, I fell off the bar stool and tore my dress. I crawled across broken glass to get a better look. There's more falling! Whoever yelled that sounded like Dad, but I couldn't see to make sure. Suddenly, there was a pair of shoes blocking my progress across the bombed-out restaurant floor. I figured it was Thomas. I thought he'd come over to sweep me off my feet and whisk me away from all the... distraction. I wanted him to pick me up and kiss me. I wanted him to insist that even though tradition demanded we spend the night apart, maybe this one time we could say to hell with tradition. And I'd tell him that's just what Sarah Shaker Kane wrote in the introduction to her best-selling Simple Rules for a Simply Successful Wedding, more or less. I wanted him to tell me everything was going to be okay. I wanted him to tell me again that the time he got drunk at our sorority bolathon and tried to make out with Denise was just a mistake. His mistake, though, not mine. I know what I saw. I blinked and blinked again until I saw that the shoes in front of me were too small to be Thomas's. I looked up from the shoes and saw Jackson looking down at me. Everyone else in the whole restaurant, heck, the whole world, was looking at the angel, or what remained of it. I took Jackson's offered hand and pulled myself back up on my own feet. Thank you, I said. He nodded. Do you see them, covered in blood? It is right and just that they should bleed. He laughed again. I looked, but I didn't see the knife in his hands. I tousled his hair and pinched his cheek. Is that from a video game? He didn't answer. Just shrugged and marched a straight path to the back of the restaurant. I watched him push open the double doors that led to the kitchen. As the doors flapped back in place, I saw steam rising from an untouched dishwasher. Then the doors closed and Jackson was gone. And I was alone. Again. I looked around and saw my grandnan sitting in a chair doing her rosary. She'd been sitting at the table the angel crashed through. Her face looked like she dipped it in an oversized can of chunky tomatoes. When I got closer, I didn't hear her saying the Our Father or the Hail Mary. She was humming the tune to the chicken dance. I pushed my way through the crowd of crying, bloody, angel-gut-splattered people. Everyone just kept looking up, looking through the hole in the ceiling where the angel had fallen. When I reached the front, another angel fell into the restaurant. When I crossed through the doorway and out to the sidewalk, I saw another one, just as beautiful, just as perfect, and just as splattered, hitting a mailbox across the street. I wondered if anyone would ever receive one of the letters trapped in that mailbox. I wondered if they'd open it up, only to find a bloody angel's feather accompanying their reminder about an upcoming dentist appointment or overdue car payment. The bus was supposed to be there, waiting to pick me, 
Thomas, and the rest of the wedding party up and take us to the hotel. It wasn't there. Where are you? I asked, as soon as I heard the beep on the other end of the line and the sound of the bus driver's heavy breathing. I didn't wait to listen to her excuses. I didn't care to hear that she'd driven to find shelter or that one of the angels had nearly fallen and landed across the bus's front windshield like some giant divine horsefly. I didn't want to know about her swerving at the last second and hearing something go kathud under the bus's right front tire. It was time for me to put my foot down. We were so close to my special day. I reminded her of the restaurant's address, speaking as slowly and monosyllabically as possible. I had to pause for a moment and hold the phone away from my ear when she said, No. I squeezed the phone, then let it go. It turned my palm red as blood rushed back. I wanted to throw the phone, watch it arc across the street and splash down in a pile of angel guts. But I knew that wouldn't do at all. I got my breathing back in order. I counted to ten and back again. I brought the phone back to my ear and offered the bus driver a thousand bucks cash if she'd come back and pick everyone up. That did the trick. She hadn't gotten that far, just two blocks or so down the road. I stayed on my phone with her to make sure she didn't take off. She whined about the roads being blocked all around her. I can't turn, she said. Well, the street behind you isn't blocked, I said. Sure, there were people, people who, like Dad had when he got to the restaurant, or worse, standing in the street, wandering in circles, dropped down on their knees and praying. But the street between me and the bus certainly wasn't what I would call blocked. I reminded the driver of the thousand dollars waiting for her. I watched the reverse lights at the back of the bus come on and heard its loud braying horn. She backed up slowly, very slowly, inch by agonized inch. I shouted and waved my arms, trying to get the attention of the people in the street. Move, move, move! With nudging and choice curse words, they finally did. The bus stopped and its door opened. Then and only then did I turn around and see Thomas and the others standing there on the sidewalk. It felt good to have things back on track. Thomas smiled. For the first time all evening, all day, he actually smiled at me. He had this smile. You could lose your way trying to get around it. I stood there and watched his mouth move. It took a while before I recognized he was saying words, and that those words were being said to me. Good idea. We can shelter at the hotel. They've got triage centers set up there, someone said. It'll be good to have everyone together. I nodded. Plus, I have hair and makeup coming in the morning, I said as I climbed up the steps onto the bus. When I looked back, Thomas wasn't smiling anymore. I watched him lean in close when he got up to the bus driver's seat. I heard him ask if we could stop by the hospital. The hospital where Denise was at. The bus driver nodded her fat, dumb head and asked Thomas for the thousand dollars I'd promised. I scooched past Thomas so I could help Dad guide Grandnan up the steps. 
I took her wrinkled fingers in mine and led her to a seat near the front. Thanks, honey, I said as I watched Thomas open his wallet. What do you think's wrong in heaven? Grandan asked me. I shook my head. Grandan, I've got enough to worry about. It took hours of the slowest driving possible to get out of downtown, and then to get from the restaurant to the hospital and finally back to the hotel. I slept like a baby most of the drive, leaning my head against Thomas's chest. I woke up when we left the hospital. With her bandaged toe looking just as hideous as I'd imagined, Denise sat across from us. I rolled my eyes. Typical Denise. Then I turned to look at Thomas. He had a piece of paper and a black pen that it looked like it had been stolen from a bank. I watched him write and write and write, covering every square inch of white on the paper. Working on your vows, slacker, I asked. My head throbbed only a little bit behind my eyes. After all, you don't get to be social chair without knowing how to handle a hangover. Thomas's face flushed red, from his neck to just above his ears. It was cute to see how embarrassed he got. Something he finally managed to say. Just think, I said. In a few hours, we'll be married, standing on the dance floor at the rec center, getting ready for our first dance. It'll be perfect. I picked out the perfect song. You're gonna love it. You better love it, okay? I hope Denise had managed to get in touch with the DJ. Sure, he was supposed to be my husband-to-be's friend and responsibility, but I figured I'd give Thomas a pass. Uh-huh, Thomas said. Behind us, someone had their phone tuned to a live stream aggregator showing footage from around the world. The angels kept falling. Jackson leaned over from the seats behind ours. Do you want to see something? He asked. I nodded, thinking, sure, why not? Jackson held out a closed fist. He opened it quickly and closed it even quicker than that. It was dark on the bus, hard to see something even right in front of your face. But I'm pretty sure what I saw inside that kid's hand was a grayish-white human ear with rust-colored blood around the spot where it had been hacked off someone's face. The bartender back at the restaurant had piercings just like those on the severed ear I think I saw. Whatever it was, Thomas saw it too. He cried for the rest of the ride to the hotel. We were supposed to be headed to the church but hair and makeup were three hours late and counting. The frequency of falling angels had dropped in the late-night, early-morning transition. But once someone got the TV behind the abandoned front desk working, we learned that was because they were falling, in huge waves of winged, perfect bodies, into the oceans and against the mountains. Desperate-looking, half-naked news anchors, L'Oreal wore paint across cheeks and foreheads, screamed about tidal waves and earthquakes triggered by the surge of naked, exploding flesh hitting the planet's surface. I'd broken into the staff room fridge where they had chilled champagne intended for the honeymoon suite after we got back from the reception. I opened it early. No one tried to stop me.
I had to put on my wedding dress pretty much by myself. Valeria, you remembered Jackson's mom, helped a little. She pulled and pushed when I asked. Of course, it didn't hurt that my body was absolutely made for my dress, and vice versa. The diet, the exercise, the general positive thinking approach, adapted from Susan Shaker Kane's earlier self-published self-help pamphlet, Generally Positive, Positive Thinking, they'd all paid off. Even with the curlers dangling near the front of my head, the resulting front ringlets slightly crooked from my self-application, and my J.C. Penny lipstick, eyeshadow, and blush working overtime, I looked gorgeous. I stood in front of the mirrored door to one of the out-of-service elevators and did a twirl with a little wiggle at the end. When I finished, I looked back at Valeria. She was looking down the carpeted lobby entryway steps. Grandnan was asleep, stretched out in front of the automatic doors. With her body there, the doors kept going open and shut, open and shut. Someone had wiped her face clean with fast food wet wipes and draped an extra-large co-ed naked volleyball t-shirt over her skin and bones body. I watched, waiting to see that her shoulders still rose and fell. They did. Where's everyone else? I asked. Valeria jerked a thumb back to the open dining area, where they were supposed to have served us continental breakfast. Thomas and the others stood in a big circle, right by the decidedly empty omelet bar station. They held hands and swayed back and forth. Denise held Thomas's hand. That bitch. Clap, clap, clap. I cupped my hands with each clap to really make them echo. Before I could do anything else, there was a loud crash and a car alarm sounded outside. Another angel, I guessed. What are you all doing standing around? We need to get to the church. Thomas let go of Denise's hand fast. I liked that. Their circle broke apart as he crossed the room and took my hand in his. I smiled. It felt good knowing that soon we'd be Mr. and Mrs., Thomas and Priscilla. The night before, when I couldn't sleep, I'd practiced writing my new last name in lipstick on all the doors to the empty rooms in the hotel. At least I think the rooms were empty. I knocked on a few, but no one would answer. Thomas pulled me over to a corner of the dining area. Are you crazy? He asked. Yeah, babe, crazy about you. But I didn't say that. I didn't say anything. I was determined to Sarah Shaker Kane the crap out of the rest of my special day. I was going to follow those simple rules for a simply successful wedding, or someone would die while I was trying. I think it surprised him when I didn't say anything. So it took a moment before he continued. There are, I don't know what they are, but these things are falling from the sky. They fell on my house last night. It's gone. My room, my stuff, all of it, just gone. He tried to snap his fingers for emphasis, but it just sounded like he was shuffling papers. I know it looks bad out there. I didn't get to finish. From the other side of the room, people started screaming again. I ripped the last curlers from my hair and pushed past Thomas to see what all the fuss was about.
what I saw in the center of that broken circle of family members, friends, and wedding guests was pretty messed up. I'll give it that. Jackson stood there, holding up Father Jonas's severed head. Even separated from the body, the priest's eyes still leaked blood. Wet, red chunks puddled down Jackson's wrist like candle wax. Behold, I have read the signs in the forbidden books and seen them come to pass. I have opened the doorway to a dying world. The cancerous growth of the plague heavens extends into our own. Do you see? Thomas stepped toward Jackson. With nostrils flared, he looked ready to fight the kid. Jackson dropped the priest's head. I watched it roll, 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 down along the slight decline of the carpet. Everyone sidestepped it and the blood smear trail it left. Thomas, wait, I said. Good thing, too. When I looked back, Jackson had that butcher knife, silver blade now black with gore, out in a two-handed grip. He waved it from side to side like a fantasy barbarian wielding a battle axe. He was already dead, Denise said, between overly dramatic chest-heaving sobs. Father Jonas died in the ambulance. How did you... How did you... Phew! I let all the air I'd been holding in out in one blast. I'd hoped that would take the edge off for the others. Good thing you didn't kill someone, Jax, I said. Jackson didn't react. He swung the butcher knife, barely missing Thomas's wrist. Thomas stepped back. I grabbed onto the waist of his plaid pajama pants and pulled him back further still. Easy, babe, I said. I think we're all a little on edge right now, huh? Thomas nodded. Jackson nodded. Around the broken circle, everyone else nodded. It boded well for the choreographed dance number I'd planned to get everyone into at the reception. I really hoped Thomas or Denise had sent the playlist to the DJ. I didn't want to get there and find he didn't have our first dance song, for example. With that thought, I asked Thomas, Your friend, or whoever, the DJ, the one I haven't met yet, he's a Unitarian minister, right? Can't he do our ceremony? Thomas took both my wrists in his hands. He lifted my hands to his face. I felt tears running down, slipping past my fingertips. What the hell are you talking about? Are you crazy? How can we have a wedding? How? Look outside. The world is, is ending. We've got angels falling from the sky. And you want to talk about getting married? I pulled my hands free from his. I pulled so hard that when I got loose, my wrist slapped against my thighs. It stung. All of it hurt. You think I don't see that? I asked. You think I don't see what's happening? I do. I see it all. And it makes absolutely as little sense to me as it does to all of you. So pardon me, Thomas, if I try and cling to the one thing, the one special day I've been looking forward to all of my life. I want to be with the man of my dreams. 
the person who gets me like no one else does. And I'm not going to let something like the end of the fucking world get in my way. I turned to check myself out in the mirrored door of the busted elevator again. My cheeks were flushed red, giving me some nice color. My hair looked as damn close to perfect as I could manage without the assistance of a professional. I turned back and waited for applause. I expected the slow clap. Instead, Jackson plunged his knife into Thomas's side. Then he pulled it, slicing across to Thomas's belly button. Thomas dropped to his knees. Before I could unfreeze from the state of shock I'd found myself in, before I could move at all, Denise was there. Busted toe and all, she hobbled her skanky ass over and shoved Jackson hard to the ground. The boy fell, knocking into his mother's legs. Valeria fell next. The knife flew from Jackson's hands. It skittered across the carpet like a particularly jumpy, bloodthirsty rat. I watched it go, following the bouncing blade. Hello? Everyone stopped. Bodies arranged in chaos, frozen in another absurd moment in time. Our heads turned in response to the faint, quivery old woman-voiced cries from outside the hotel. Hello? Is anyone else going to come outside? We all moved together as one. Valeria and Dad held on to Jackson, hands pinching his armpits so he couldn't get away. Thomas leaned heavy on Denise. Or maybe she leaned heavy on him, I couldn't say. Thomas pressed what looked like a thin white cloth against the wound on his belly. But when I got closer, I saw it was paper. The red of his blood blended with the black ink scribblings from the vows I'd watched him write the night before. When we got to the bottom of the entryway steps, I saw Grandnan standing in the hotel's drop-off loop. She'd made it past those automatic doors at last. She smiled when I stepped to the front of the group. I watched her, looking me over head to toe. Her smile didn't disappear, so I took it that she approved. The necklace I wore was Mom's, but the veil was Grandnance. It smelled like mothballs and ammonia, but it was important to her that I wear it. The sun's shining, the sky's blue. I hear the birds. I hear them flying. They're flying and flapping their wings. Do you hear them? She asked us. I took a step forward, ready to step outside and join her. The automatic doors swooshed open. I did hear something, something that sure sounded like wings. I thought maybe, maybe it would all be okay, and we could all get back to my special day. I should have known better. Because that was the moment three angels, big as oak trees, glowing like fiery golden orbs, dropped from the sky and slammed down on top of Grandnan. They squished her flat as a pancake. The automatic doors closed just in time to deflect the splatter. There were a few inches of plexiglass between my made-up face and a tidal wave of gore. It dribbled down the glass. I couldn't tell if the blood was Grandnan's or the angels. I guess it didn't matter. They were all just as dead. The doors opened again. I walked through. I wanted to see if I could step around the mess, but there were guts and feathers and 
bits of a co-ed naked volleyball t-shirt all across the sidewalk and on into the loop. From behind me, I heard another thunderous crash, louder than before. I looked up at the roof of the hotel, right as a ball of flesh, made up of who knows how many dying angels all tangled up, legs and arms and wings and hair and teeth smashed through it. I screamed for the others still inside. Some people at the front listened and made it out. Dad, Valeria, and Jackson. Thomas and Denise. The others, those second cousins, other groomsmen and bridesmaids, the strays and stragglers picked up along the way, they were there, standing in the lobby of the hotel one moment. And then they were gone. Just more feathers and smoking ruins. When the ground stopped shaking and my head stopped spinning, there wasn't any more ground to speak of. Instead of concrete and asphalt, or pine needles and crabgrass, we had to walk across a layer of dead, broken-winged bodies. This new, holy ground squished under my feet. It got between my toes. I hadn't planned for that six months earlier when I picked out open-toed heels that matched my dress. Walk, walk, stumble. Walk, walk, stumble. That became the pattern. I looked back. Susan Shaker Kane's simple rules for a simply successful wedding, rule number 100, don't look back, be damned. And the others were still there. They didn't look at the sky, though. Not anymore. They looked down at their feet, barely glancing past their toes. Slow and steady, walk and stumble. I brought us to the bus in the hotel parking lot. A pile of broken angels lay in front of it. I saw a hand with a still-burning cigarette under the pile. Our bus driver. I shoved skin and bones and feathers and that last smoldering menthol out of the way, got a handhold, and wedged the bus door open. Come on! I didn't get to finish. Thomas and Denise pulled me back from the door and pinned me against the side of the bus. I struggled and squirmed, kicked, nearly fell on my ass, but they held tight kept me pinned like a butterfly. Denise held the butcher knife. It was like she didn't even know or care that there were two people in front of her for the maid of honor gig. And yeah, sure, one of those people was my mom, ten years dead. But the other one was Beyonce, and I really didn't think threatening me with a goddamn knife was showing me very much appreciation for the fact that I'd picked her over Beyonce. What's going on? I asked. Dad and Valeria squeezed through the narrow opening and headed up the bus steps. They had Jackson between them still. They let him walk up on his own, though, no longer holding him as tight as before. We're getting out of here. We're going to find somewhere safe, Denise said. She couldn't look me in the eyes. The keys are in the ignition, Dad called down. Jackson stared out at me, my fiancé, and my ex-maid of honor. I saw the kid's eyes lock on the knife in Denise's hands. Refusing to waste any more time with Denise, I looked at Thomas. Babe, please don't. Is this about Denise? Do you still have feelings for her? What? No, what? I felt his grip on my wrist slip just the slightest bit. With that opening, I tried to pull free. 
I felt a hot, sharp pain across my cheek. I really couldn't believe it. Denise had cut me. She had taken that butcher knife and dragged its blood-encrusted blade right down my cheek. I watched, dumbfounded, as blood spilled on my dress. Blood mixed into the lace pattern. Blood ran down my arm. I flailed them wildly. Thomas and Denise both let go. I fell into a crouch, knees by my cheeks. My dress bunched up, showing anyone who cared to look that I wasn't wearing underwear. I thought it would make a nice surprise for Thomas when we got back to the hotel that night. What the hell did I know, huh? Thomas reached down and pressed the bloody piece of paper he'd worn as a bandage into my hand. Turning away, he mumbled that it wasn't Denise. He scurried up onto the bus, not looking back once. Denise followed. Before stepping through the door, she turned to look down at me. She still had the knife. If you follow us, I'll fucking kill you, she said. She dropped into the driver's seat and slammed the door shut. After some key fiddling, the engine roared to life. Denise revved it. They jolted forward with such sudden force it nearly knocked me back on my ass. Denise rammed the bus ahead, up and over dead angels, up and over the curb. I stood amid the bodies and watched them drive away. Angels kept falling all around me, but none came close enough to do damage. After a certain point, the sound of bodies falling on bodies became almost mesmerizing. In that moment of artificial peace, I unfolded Thomas's bloody piece of paper. I wasn't surprised to discover that it wasn't actually his vows. I thought back on those minutes before he left, when he said it wasn't about Denise. His note made it clear, though. It was all about Denise, telling me he'd loved her all along, but felt guilty when I came to him and told him I was... You know, actually, I don't think I need to talk about all that right now. I read it over and over. I think I hoped maybe on the next read-through it'd be different. I thought maybe the whole day would change back to the way it was supposed to be. I lost sight of the bus, but I heard its squealing tires and the loud wail of a horn. Then I brushed myself off. I took off Grandan's veil and pressed it against my cheek. I walked. I skipped the church. Without a wedding, it's not like it mattered anymore. My special day was ruined. At first, I didn't know where I was headed. Part of me, the part still belching up champagne fizzy bubble burps, didn't care if I walked until I just wasn't. So I walked with no destination in mind. Then I reached the rec center. I found it just past yet another street filled with broken-down cars and busted-up bodies of heavenly host, and those unfortunate enough to be standing, sitting, or running for their lives beneath them. I saw our bus crashed in a ditch. I think the setting sun was playing tricks with my vision at that distance. I thought I saw the windows smeared with blood. I thought I saw the seats on fire. And I thought I saw a young boy stripped to his underwear, 
dancing with a knife in his hands out in the tall grass along the road. But I might be remembering it wrong. I guess it made sense I ended up at the rec center, where my special day was supposed to end. First, it was hard as hell to walk in my heels across the fallen angels, so it's not like I could have made it much further. Second, we'd selected the rec center for its proximity to the hotel. I really knew what I was doing when it came to putting a wedding together. I'd seen Sarah Shaker Kane's author photo, complete ice queen with a heart of gold that she'd rip out of her chest and bash you in the face with vibe, just in one still image. After Mom died, I carried around photos of her and SSK on either side of a locket. I thought about telling whoever asked that they were my two lesbian moms. But no one asked, so I never did. I like to think both my moms would have been proud of me, though. The rec center lobby was empty. A giant wad of angel flesh and feathers had caved in the exercise room ceiling. Fluorescence running along the ceiling flickered, casting shadows across the carnage. It was like I'd walked into one of those extreme haunted houses where they amp up the fake blood and mangled, mutilated body parts to such a degree that it just seems silly. But I didn't want to feel silly, and I didn't want to think about things that were silly. I wanted to be alone. Just me and my sad, shitty thoughts. But I couldn't even get that. I couldn't stop and think in the peace and quiet of the end of the world or whatever the hell it was that had ruined my special day. And all because of the music. That bass-heavy, thumping, ass-shaking, and encouraging music. I shoved open the gymnasium doors. They'd cleared the gym of its pommel horses and rings. The pads were pulled up to reveal a slick wooden dance floor. The tables where we were supposed to eat were still pushed up against the wall, but that just made the dance floor look bigger. There, across the room, clear all the way to the other side, back by the entrances to the men's and women's locker rooms, the DJ stood behind a white card table. He had a laptop plugged into speakers. His headphones were over his ears. Long black hair fell from under a gray toboggan. It was way too hot for him to be wearing something like that. His hair looked nice, though. Really nice. I was maybe a little jealous of it. I stood there, just inside the gym, watching him. Finally, a song ended, and he noticed me. He looked right at me with fresh-cut, grass-green eyes. He waved. I held a hand up, ready to return the favor. Then a shadow fell over me, over him, and over the dance floor between us. Then, boom! I heard a sound so loud I felt it. It picked me up and shoved me backward. It slammed me against the door. My eyelids felt heavy. I tried to keep them open. I wanted to see. Whatever it was, it was bigger than any of the angels. It was man, it was woman, and it was not. It was changing, shifting, wearing every face of anyone I'd ever seen. It was Thomas, it was Denise, 
It was Jackson. It was Dad. It was Mom. It was Beyonce. I looked at it and felt complete. Then it struck the ground and exploded. It all went black. I'm pretty sure God fell out of heaven and died on the dance floor at the reception for my canceled wedding. Once I came to and brushed dust and guts off my ruined dress, I looked and saw there was no more dance floor. Only God. But there was something else, still waiting across the room. I heard it. The speakers and the power must have been blown out by the impact, but the laptop speakers still worked. Outside the rain of falling angels, the great angel deluge, as they'd later call it, had stopped. So all I heard was Brian Adams singing his Canadian rock balladeer heart out. Baby, you're all that I need when I'm lying there in your arms, finding it hard to believe we're in heaven. I walked across God. My heels sunk in one too many times before I finally bent down and one-handed stripped them both off my feet. I tossed them behind me, hoping it looked cool enough. Once I made it to the other side, the DJ, for the life of me, I couldn't remember his name, Thomas had always just called him this DJ guy I know, took his toboggan off. He shook the hair out of his eyes and gave me this cute little tip-of-the-hat nod. This is a terrible song, he said. I know. I picked it on purpose. I wanted to take the pressure off the whole first dance thing. I left off the part about how Mom had given me that advice the last time Dad let me into her hospice room to see her, before things got bad. Ah, he said. So it's one of those ironic things, huh? I nodded. Do you want to dance? He asked, putting his headphones down beside his laptop. I could restart the song. Nah, I said. Just leave it on repeat. I stepped around what I think was one of God's big toes. We stood in front of each other on the last square inch of dance floor. Nice dress, he said. Nice hair, I said back. Then I took his hand and he took mine. We started our first dance. That was Patrick Barb's The Great Angel Deluge and How It Nearly Ruined My Special Day, as read by Nicole Swanson. Nicole Swanson is an actor and producer from Augusta, Georgia, who has discovered she loves hiding away in her closet and telling stories to her loyal companion, Blackjack the Studio Dog. An occupational therapist in the Georgia corrections system, when not narrating, 
Nicole enjoys a good cup of coffee while sitting on the porch swing and listening to the rain on a dark and stormy night. Discover more of Nicole's adventures at NicoleSwansonVO.com. Thank you, Nicole. Well, children of the night, the hour is late and we've run out of tales to tell. For now. Tales to Terrify is made possible by the tremendous generosity of our supporters on Patreon and PayPal. Amazing fans like Kathy Robinson, aka Deadly Blonde. If you're not a supporter already, be like Kathy. Head over to patreon.com slash tales to terrify, where you'll find all kinds of perks, from ad-free episodes and bonus content, to shoutouts and merch packs. Every dollar goes back into this show to help make it as dark and devious as possible. And we appreciate it so much. Want another way to support the show that doesn't cost a cent? Head over to Stitcher, Podchaser, or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. You'll not only put an unnaturally wide smile on our faces, but help new listeners discover our terrifying tales, too. Now you can share your love of the show out in the world with some Tales to Terrify merch. TalesToTerrify.com slash merch will take you to our Tee Public store, where we've got a great collection of creepy custom and curated designs that's always growing, so check back often. Tales to Terrify is produced by Seth Williams, Pete Morsellino, Meredith Morgenstern, and Drew Gibson, and myself, Drew Sebastini, with original theme by Nebulous Entertainment. Tales to Terrify is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Join us again next week as we summon darkness from the deep with more Tales to Terrify. you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. 
There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.